0: You don't have to have it every single day. You can have fear, but embrace the fear and recognize that the failure, whatever you're the most fearful of, doesn't matter. You know, there's a great quote, and I'm not going to do it justice, but it's like, what if you could do anything that your heart desired and you knew with 100% certainty it wasn't going to fail? You were going to become the best Hollywood movie star. or You're going to become this or that. Would you do it? And the answer to the question is Yes. And so, in the immortal words of Mel Brooks, my spiritual leader and philosopher king, relax. None of us are getting out of here alive. Okay, that's one of the best Mel Brooks (laughs) lines ever. Okay, just, and I I get up in the morning, okay, relax, not getting out of here alive. I'm going to do the best I can today with enthusiasm and passion. And I think that's the spirit of entrepreneurship and spirit of enterprise. That's how
1: success happens. From Entrepreneur Magazine, my name is Robert Tuckman. I self-funded, built up, and eventually sold two businesses to major players in the sports and entertainment industry. And I am fascinated by other entrepreneurial minds and what drives high-achieving people. So on this podcast, we're going to learn what they've learned and what it takes to really succeed. Anthony Scaramucci is the founder and managing partner of Skybridge Capital, a global alternative investment firm specializing in hedge funds, digital assets, private equity, and more. Also known as The Mooch, Anthony also founded Salt, a global thought leadership and networking forum, and as we know, was briefly White House communications director. His new podcast, Open Book, will launch on January 25th and features conversations with prominent figures in business, politics, and entertainment. But of course, I had to start out because I know he's a huge Mets fan, as am I. And I asked, where is that Mike Piazza jersey he bought after Piazza's game that he played following 9-11?
0: So the jersey, if you come up the escalator at the uh, 9-11 Museum, it's right at the beginning It's right at the entrance of the exhibits. And so when they were curating, they made that decision because for me, and I think for you, Robert, not only as a Met fan, but as as a New Yorker, that jersey is a metaphor for our recovery. That jersey was a very solemn night. I was there that night where we had all of the first responders and the police officers, the firemen, and the pain in that. Stadium, Shea Stadium that night, September the 21st, 2001, I'll never forget. And so late in the game when Mike hit that home run and the jubilation of that, that is a metaphor for you've been knocked down, but you're living life. You've got to get up and you've got to go forward. Okay. And, and so, so for me, when the jersey came for sale, I got together with a few of my partners. I you know, did not want that jersey to leave New York. And so it's on loan to the 9-11 Museum in the month of July. It will go to Cooperstown at the request of Cooperstown because of the Hall of Fame inductions. Although that m- got moved to September, I'm probably giving you too much information now. But no, uh, so right. it will sometimes I love
1: talking Mets.
0: Mets. <laughs> yeah, well, me too. I'm a diehard Mets fan. I owned a piece of the team for about 11 years. I sold it to my piece, my small piece to Steve Cohen. But you got to come to get. You got to come to a game with me. I got a box downstairs right behind the plate, it's still, I mean, and I told my, well, you were talking about how success happens, well, if failure happens to Skybridge, I'll be living in that box. I'm not giving up the suite. Just, I told my CFO, I don't care what happens to the firm. We're not giving up the suite. If I have to take a sponge bath in the bathroom and sleep on the couch, no problem, okay? But that'll be the last thing that we give up. That'll be the last perk at Skybridge that we give up. But, but um, yeah, I'm a diehard fan. I think Steve's doing a great job and we will win unfortunately, these teams are so good right now, Robert, you know, and particularly the National League, the pitching and Uh so forth. It may not be this year, but I do predict over the next three to five years, we're going to win.
1: Yeah, I'm excited about the direction and obviously talent that they have and just now with ownership and and really making changes and really competing. It's what should have always have, have happened. I mean, I've been a Like you, I mean, 86 was my team, but like, if I go back and think about it, but I will say, and I'm curious to you as well, the Mets can make you resilient to be a Mets fan. You have to be resilient. And I know, I know you grew up, tell me about growing up on Long Island in your early days. What was that like? Were there, were there people, was it community that really you learned from that you saw that was you were able to take with you that's made you the success you are today? Yeah,
0: well, well Liz, uh, let me just start out. I'll frame it for you. I think I'm a very blessed person for many reasons, but in addition to my parents, thank God, but the area that I grew up in. My dad was a uh, crane operator. He was a uh, very hard worker. And so, you know, he's an hourly worker, had a great work discipline, and he was very honest. And so, I always tell my kids, okay, we will never dishonor your no-no by doing anything wrong. Okay, so we don't need the money. We grew up with enough money. We're in the middle class. And so I'm always so proud of him and his work ethic. So I got very lucky there. Obviously, my mom was a housemate, wife, but also a very hard worker. But we didn't have a lot of money. And so I had a job. And I don't know where you grew up, but Long Island had its own local paper called Newsday. It's still around. And so when I was about 13, I started a Newsday paper route. And then I asked Mr. Fusco, who's no longer with us, for free papers on Wednesday, because my mother knew every Irish, every Jewish and Italian woman in the area. OK, and so I got these free papers. I used to go into the apartment buildings in my hometown uh, where all these blue collar people lived. I rang the doorbell. I said, Mrs. Sheridan, here's your free Long Island Newsday. Mrs. Mayball, Mrs. Magaziner. Here's and, and I had to go back the next day. I said, did you enjoy it? Would you like to subscribe daily and Sunday or just daily? which was Monday to Saturday. And I built an incredible paper route. It was the largest paper route in the town at that time. It was 1977. I was making about $65 a week on that paper route. I gave $40 to my parents, put $25 in the first federal savings loan on Main Street for myself. And that gave me the hunger and the drive, okay? I was like, okay, I can make money for myself. I can figure it out. Then I worked worked as a stock boy, at key food, Then I worked for my uncle's motorcycle shop. I was selling mopeds. And I'm telling you this backstory because you get a lot of different things going on at the same time. Look up to my dad and his work ethic. But I also knew that I didn't want to be a blue-collar person, not saying no disrespect to anybody that's in the blue-collar, but I said, okay, let me see if I can get educated. My father always had a great line. He said, try to get a job where you're indoors, you're out of direct sunlight, and there's no heavy lifting. Okay. And that requires you to go to college. Okay. So I said, all right, Bob, that's what I'm going to try to do. So when I got my first job, always, Robert, always wanted to have my own business. And so my first job was at Goldman Sachs. I graduated from Harvard Law School. I wrote in my diary, the day that I pay off my school debt, I'm going to leave this job and start my own company. And so I started in August of 89. I paid off the debt in May. Of 1996, it was around the Memorial Day weekend. And so I waited till the end of Goldman's fiscal year, which was December 1st at that time. And I signaled to my boss I was leaving, left amicably, and built my own business. And then, believe it or not, I sold that business right around 9 11 in October of 2001. I sold that business to Newberger Berman. And then Newberger got bought by Lehman. And now I'm back at a big company. And I went to Dick Fold, who was the CEO of Lehman. And I said, listen, I'd like to start my own business again. And he was a very classy guy. I have an enormous amount of respect for him, despite what happened to Lehman Brothers. Yeah. He said, if you finish 2004, which was the end of my contract with them, I'll help you get your business started. And so I left in March of 2005 and started Skybridge. And so I'm probably being a little bit long-winded, but I just gave you my 45-year career as an <laughs> entrepreneur. <laughs> yeah, That's the whole thing, the whole <laughs> enchilada. From no State Paperboy... To managing partner at Skybridge. Well, I always love Newsday. I grew
1: up in Westchester, but I love Newsday because I'm a diehard Mets and Jets fan. Unfortunately, so yeah. you always get the best article. Oh, well, sounds
0: like you're in this. You're in the same house of pain as me. Okay, I'm a Met, Jet, Nick, and Ranger fan. That, How's that for pain? That's me. Oh those God. are my
1: four. Those are my four teams. <laughs> right. I know, but you know, someone told me right. the, the other me. day, and they're like, "That's why you're resilient. That's why you do this." But I want to ask you and go
0: back. Where do you think, and I know you- By the way, I was, I'm going to brag, can I, yeah, can I go not ahead. humble brag, but just brag, brag. Okay. I was at game seven on June 14th, 1994. I, you okay, know, well, and I, I got to give you the backstory because you'll, you'll, you'll love this. You'll love this part of the backstory. So I was a salesman at Goldman and Goldman had four great seats at Madison Square Garden. And so I put in for game seven of the Stanley Cup. And this is like, you know, before the season started and people are like, that's like buying like a call option. That's ridiculous <laughs> out of the money. you never know. And so they goddamn got the game seven, and of course the senior partners were calling, okay, and they were like, "Well, we, you got to give up the seats because this guy wants to go." And that guy. Hey, listen, man, that's not the. That's not how this works, okay? You want to fire me after the game? No problem. I'm going to that game. Okay, I got. I had the tickets in my drawer. I said, "No one's getting these tickets for me." Okay, that wasn't the deal. I ended up having to bring the general counsel the chief investment officer, G Sam and some other guy, but I went to the game. Anyway, I'm sorry. No, I I love it. I mean, that was one of the most, as a New York sports fan, that was literally one of the greatest nights to be alive in New York. The electricity at the garden that night with Messier. And I finally ran into Messier. I was in some bar in New York, this is like recently, right over to me. And he he said, Mooch? I said, I can't believe you know me, but I said, please stand up. I got to give you a hug. Thank you for giving me the greatest sports thrill in New York. I mean, it was the best. Anyway, I'm sorry. I'm digressing. No, no. I, I, Since I, you're I, such a big fan, I, want, I, could I talk wanted about to share it. that with you.
1: I could talk about it all day. I want to get to you as the person. I will tell you quickly, I was graduating school that year. I bought an eight-game pack because that's all I could afford. <laughs> and the eight-game pack, though, gave you every single play. You could purchase every single playoff game. So section 340 sat there, saw them beat the devils in the (laughs) Eastern Conference. And then that night, like you said, coming out of the garden and that electricity, and then the Knicks were doing well. And it was just like, you thought this would go on forever. But it's funny how how you talk about that and the story about sticking and saying, you know what I put in for this, I did this. Where do you think that confidence comes from? Because you said to yourself, I'm going to pay off these student loans, right? And then I am going to go start this business. A lot of people, especially a lot of people who listen to our podcast, are want to be entrepreneurs. And it's very hard for them to take that dive off the board. Yeah. What was it that well, you
0: think you I mean, had? Listen, I'm stupidity, ignorance, I overconfidence, perhaps. I mean, Fred W. Smith, who was the founder of FedEx, had one of the best lines about entrepreneurship. He said, if God damn it, if I knew how hard it was to start FedEx and make FedEx, I never would have done it. Entrepreneurs are jumping off cliffs and they're trying to build airplanes as they're descending to earth. And so I was remarkably naive and perhaps overconfident and I was very scared. I'm not going to lie to anybody and anybody listening to your podcast know that if they're thinking about starting a business, young or old, there's a fretfulness to it. I had no safety net. Okay. So my parents, I couldn't say, okay, if I fail this business, no problem. I've got an inheritance coming and I'll be able to solve for it that way. So I had to rely on myself. And in a lot of ways, I've been in a negative subsidy to my parents for a good part of my life. So they were relying on me for some income as well. So I will just say this to you and every entrepreneur listening, you know, in your heart, if you have it, and if you have it, it sort of goes like this. There's an ability to deal with the self-consciousness of failure. I remember going to a cocktail party and there were young people from Goldman Sachs that were doing incredibly well. I had just left Goldman Sachs and they were not mocking me, but there was a lot of visceral body language of mocking. And I remember thinking to myself, okay, I'm gonna be okay because I can deal with this. Meaning I didn't feel upset. They seemed to be doing better than me. They seemed to be making more money than me but I didn't care because I was on my own individual journey. See what I mean? And so you know in your mindset, whether success or failure, the fact that I was able to try in this very short life that we're living, something that I really dreamed about has made me very happy and very self-fulfilled. Now, I may have less money in my bank account than other people. Maybe I could have done better if I stayed at a big bank. I actually don't know. But the truth be told, I'm so grateful for my life experiences. Listen, you know, I failed in the White House. I got fired after 11 days. But I did work in the White House. I have done a White House press conference from the Brady Press Room. I have flown on Air Force One as an assistant to the President of the United States. I've gone to the Sun Valley Conference. I'm here talking to you from the World Economic Forum, which I've had the opportunity to speak at over the last 15 years. I just did the Special Forces reality show for Fox where we're talking about the Mets, my bunk mate was Mike Piazza. We were jumping out of helicopters together and we were in the Wadi Rum Jordanian Desert for 10 days together fighting it out. How am I going to get those life experiences if I'm a corporate guy? How am I going to get those life experiences if I'm not free thinking and independent and willing to embrace change, accept failure, have no problem with getting dunked? I've been fired a few times. I get fired from from my Goldman Investment Banking job, I got rehired into the asset management area. I got fired from the White House. Rather than being sore at General Kelly, I went on to become his friend. I invited him to the conference and uh, we've done seven or eight public speaking events together. My point to people is if you can embrace failure and you can be okay with it, then you can be an entrepreneur because... Robert, the show is over when you decide it's over, okay? So if you have a setback or a failure or business has to close down, or uh, it's only over when you decide it's over, you can pick yourself back up and start again. And it's the greatest thing about American culture. F. Scott Fitzgerald got one thing wrong in his wonderful writing about America. He said there were no second acts in America. And he got that wrong. There are second, third, fourth, fifth acts in America The American people are forgiving and the American people will give you another chance. And believe it or not, you know this from your life experience, venture capitalists like entrepreneurs that have had some failure because they know that failure has made them wiser. They know that failure has given them some humility perhaps or perspective or self-reflection. And it's so for those reasons. And so again, you have to think inward. Uh, People listening, your viewers and listeners You don't have to have it every single day. You can have fear, but embrace the fear and recognize that the failure, whatever you're most fearful of, doesn't matter. There's a great quote, and I'm not going to do it justice, but it's like, what if you could do anything that your heart desired and you knew with 100% certainty it wasn't going to fail? You were going to become the best Hollywood movie star. or you are going to become this or that? Would you do it? And the answer to the question is yes. And so... In the immortal words of Mel Brooks, my spiritual leader and philosopher king, relax, none of us are getting out of here alive. Okay, that's one of the best Mel Brooks (laughs) lines ever. Okay, just, and I I get up in the morning, okay, relax, not getting out of here alive. I'm going to do the best I can today with enthusiasm and passion. And I think that's the spirit of entrepreneurship and spirit of enterprise. More from our guests, but first, a word
1: from our sponsors. Are you an innovative, creative founder? Is your consumer packaged goods startup ready to make a next level leap? Target Accelerators is accepting applications for its 2023 programs now through February 3rd. Whether you're an early stage startup or a CPG company ready to grow, Target Accelerators will help you scale your business for success. That's right, Target Accelerators will help unlock the potential of your brand for mass retail through curated education, personalized resources, and connection to industry-leading retail leaders, mentors, and partners that could forever shape the trajectory of your business. No fees or strings attached. Being an entrepreneur is fulfilling, but the journey can also be full of challenges as you build something from scratch. You're not alone, though. Target Accelerators programs are expertly tailored to your needs and business and are proven to help founders reach retail success. So, ready to apply, scale, and succeed? Interested founders and startups can apply to all Target Accelerators 2023 programs for a limited time on January 9th through February 3rd on TargetAccelerators.com. That's www.targetaccelerators.com. What are you waiting for? Become one of more than 300 brands that call themselves Target Accelerators alumni today. And we're back. You've had incredible successes. You talk about it and all those things, even when you got fired from Goldman or you went to the White House after a short period there, but you've done those things. You've picked yourself off the mat and you keep going and you've had incredible success. Where does that drive come from? Because for me, I find the hardest thing for most people isn't the first start, let's say. It's getting knocked down and then picking yourself up and going and being like, let me do it again.
0: So, It's a really good question. So I'm going to start in a spot that is like pre-entrepreneurship, okay? Okay, because I'm going to start in a ignorant, wildly overconfident, arrogant spot. I'm going to date myself. Okay, ready? It's 1991 and I am buying call options on biotechnology stocks, okay? I have no history in biosciences. The last biology course I took was in the ninth grade, but I am a guru. I am a genius at biotechnology stocks. Now, of course I'm not, but this is my self delusion And so I'm buying these call options. And then the worst thing happens to me, Robert, I turned 5,000 US dollars into $70,000. Okay. We'll never forget this. I went 14 to one on a stock called Centacore, and they were getting approval from FDA phase one into phase two. So since I'm a guru and I'm an all-knowing person about biotech, I loaded up on more call options for the move from phase two to phase three. I even went to the FDA for the hearing. Okay. They got rejected in the phase three clinical trials and the stock went from 60 to 30 cents. Okay, so let me repeat that. Okay, it went from $60 to 30 cents. And so I didn't understand how a margin account worked. and. I opened up my Goldman Sachs server, and there it was on the mainframe computer. I had minus sixty-one thousand dollars in my account. Twenty-seven years old, hundred and forty thousand dollars of school debt. Now I have a minus sixty-one thousand dollars. I was in a full panic, and the margin department called me from Goldman Sachs. Said, "You owe sixty-one thousand dollars. You got three days to pay it." I said, "Oh my God, I don't have the money." So I went to see my boss. Okay. Stole lives, 86, the awesome human being. And I said, sir, this is what happened. This is what I did. And he said, what do you know about biotech? I said, well, you know, obviously I don't know anything about biotech. He says, okay, this is a super expensive lesson for you, but when you're investing, you got to be humble. You got to be risk adjusted, blah, blah, blah. And he paid it. He paid the $61,000 for me. He docked my pay. It took me about three years to pay him back with interest, which of course I did. And it was a huge setback for me, Robert, but it was also a very, very big lesson. So I guess my message to people is you take these experiences with you and you say, okay, so what did I learn from that? Be more humble. Assume that things are going to go wrong. Anticipate downturns. Save more money. Okay, be a person that's willing to live under their means. You don't have to drive around in the fancy car to show off. Be a person that lives under their means. And I'll say this to you, and I think, you'll, I think this will resonate with you. When I invest, I tell people, it's not the things that I think are going to go wrong that get me in trouble. It's the things I think I know with absolute certainty that are actually wrong, okay? That get me in trouble. And as an example, I'll give two examples. I thought Lehman Brothers was going to go to the moon. You know, I was absolutely certain about it. Largest bankruptcy in history, Okay at some point, we'll probably talk about the FTX investment in Skybridge. I thought Sam Bankman-Fried was the Mark Zuckerberg of crypto. And I was attaching myself to a superstar and we were generationally different. He's young enough to be my son. And I was going to help him grow his business and transform his business using this sort of generational transfer of relationships and knowledge. But he turned out to be the Bernie Madoff of crypto. But if you had asked me November 1st, if Sam Bankman-Fried is the Mark Zuckerberg of crypto or the Bernie Madoff of crypto, the Bernie Madoff of crypto would have never even been on the table. You see what I mean? And so this is a big lesson for entrepreneurs. It's the things that you think that you know, with 100% certainty, that are the things that bite you in the ass. And that, unfortunately, that was true in that case.
1: It's amazing. And, And obviously you're talking and I love it because you're talking a lot of, about maybe the mistakes or the failures, and yet you're a super successful person just in general from coming from where you came from, doing what you've done. No, you know a lot of people rely on family and and you really are one who went out there and did this yourself. And you're talking about some of these things, which is great because most people who listen to this show, they see you and they're like, oh, this guy must've just, been successful from the beginning and built this up. Yeah, but- yeah
0: I got a, mis- a lot of misperceptions. When they when they put me on Celebrity Special Forces, okay, just to have been totally embarrassed. The socialist casting director thought I was a Wall Street entitled MFing puff boy baby. Okay? Yeah. And when I got on a show, when I was running through the wall and the guy was like, well, wait, this guy's like totally different than I thought. But that's what happens. I mean, we get stereotyped. Right. It doesn't matter. You can be a Jew, an Italian, an Irish person, a black. It doesn't matter. We get stereotypes, you know, and that's fine. I mean, I I get it. But I would also tell people relax about that stuff, too. You know, I I was called a Jersey Shore cast member when I was in the White House. I was called Tony Soprano on the Potomac. I think uh, Stephen Colbert was impersonating me. And I think it was a combination of Marlon Brando playing Don Corleone and Santino Corleone. I didn't care. I went on Steve's show. I hung out with him, answered his questions. We shouldn't be such babies. You know what I mean? We should just roll with the punches. We don't have to have these micro offenses that happen to us all the time. Let's just roll with the punches. You know, that sort of thing.
1: Yeah, it's it's different nowadays. and And it's great when you talk about it and being able to be okay. And then a great thing about you is being able to then become close and understand how it works. And unfortunately, the stereotypes, which are awful, because then when you sit down and and people listen to this interview and hear you and understand, and their preconceived notions or whatever they might be are just incorrect. And I have that a lot of times with a lot of entrepreneurs that I'm thinking are going to be a certain way, and they're totally the opposite. And I want to ask you, with Skybridge I know and just going back and then we'll, I want to jump to your podcast now but mm-hmm. financial crisis 2008 2009 like yep. I remember I'm not on on Wall Street funny enough I started my career at Lehman lasted 6 months and realized I wanted to be in sports mm-hmm. and everyone told mm-hmm. me to stay this was 93 94 stay mm-hmm. at Lehman it's the safe bet and it's kind of I wish I loved finance unfortunately I was like a, I had to be in sports But I want to ask you going back to that financial crisis and SkyBridge and what you went through and having to pivot, can you just talk about what that was like, first off, from a business perspective, but also then just from a mental, personal perspective?
0: Yeah. So, I mean, I would say a couple things. First of all, I love you saying that you left Lehman Brothers to do something you love. I think that we have a tendency sometimes to, want to do something that we think are impressive to others or are money-making. And those are usually things that get us in trouble. We always have to focus on, quote-unquote, doing something that we love. That's my personal bias. That's my personal opinion. So with SkyBridge, the labor of love, but I was getting annihilated in the global financial crisis, you know, and I have a gallows sense of humor. I think I was calling the place No Bridge, a blown-up bridge, Bridge to Nowhere. And I remember there was a couple of my Goldman Sachs colleagues that came to see me late in 2008, I think it was right after the all-star game, which was played at Yankee stadium that year. It was the last time that the Yankee, you know, the original stadium there had the all-star game. And they said, yeah, you should shut this thing down. You know, you've got a terrible performance and the business is not going well and you should shut it down. And I said to the guy, Hey man, this thing's shutting down when I shut down. Okay. You better hope I'm cremated because if I'm in the box, Try to bang my way out of the casket, okay? And I said, it's just not my personality. I'm not going to shut it down. And it's apropos that I'm here in Davos because I'm a relationship person. Why would I come to an event like this? Well, this is a big networking event, over 3,000 people. I got the opportunity to meet Vikram Pandit here as the CEO of Citibank. Mike Corbett, who was one of his guys, went on to become CEO of Citibank. I met them at a reception. They mentioned that they were selling a business. And I said, oh, I would like to buy that business. And I marshaled the resources. I borrowed some money. I took some money out of my, my home mortgage. I got one of my friends to invest in SkyBridge alongside of me, James Packer. I don't know if your podcast listeners recognize that name, but he's an Australian billionaire. Uh, he bought 10% of SkyBridge to help me fund that transaction. And I bought, I, was, uh, I had a $250 million asset management company that bought $4 billion of assets from Citibank. And had a lot of leverage on because I didn't have that money, frankly. I couldn't afford it, but I made it work. I paid off that loan and then I had this nice size enterprise. But here's the thing. I'm getting my ass kicked again right now as you and I are speaking because I've moved some of my money into crypto. It worked in 21. It's not didn't work in 22. Apparently it's working here in the early part of 23. And I'm adapting and pivoting again. And so we're thinking about potential acquisitions. We're thinking about opportunities to uh, do some consulting and marketing for people, uh, using our SALT conference experiences with people. And I'm taking this opportunity to refresh my business. I've also entered the podcast space uh, where we'll be launching a podcast soon called An Open Book. Uh, why am I doing that? Well, that happens to be a labor of love. I also think it will be money moneymaker for us. I'm interviewing authors from around the world, nonfiction, fiction, Buy novels, it could be anything, psychology, physiology, uh, just things that I find super interesting. And one of my buddies from law school said to me, Hey, man, you're a bookworm. You should do a podcast where you interview these authors that have actually written these books. And so it's just a new business line that we're going to be attacking here in the first quarter of 2023. So, so my message to people is uh, Mike Tyson is right. Everybody has a plan until they're punched in the face, and good entrepreneurs adapt. To the laughter of God. You know, you're planning, God's laughing, adapt to the laughter of God. And I've tried to do that at every aspect, every point of my career.
1: Yeah, you know, I love it because I love all these things you're talking about. I love the Tyson quote too. I always use that, but I just love the fact how you have the optimism and the willpower and the pick yourself off the mat. And when something isn't working, whether it was 20 years ago, 10 years ago, or like you said, a couple weeks ago, you're pivoting and you're making a move and you're changing. And I think that's one of the most important things about being an entrepreneur. And I think that's something you do well.
0: hundred percent. I mean, if I'm going to be super self-reflective and super honest, I would say one of my big weaknesses is that I've got too many interests, and I've got too much. You know, like better entrepreneurs, better entrepreneurs. You know, Michael Dell, frankly, is a way better entrepreneur than me. Uh, he's been more financially successful. He's built this unbelievable business, Dell Technologies. Okay, and he is at least when I know him, he was one of the early investors in Skybridge. He's singularly focused like this. Okay. He's not jumping out of helicopters. He's not going to the White House on a whim to work for Donald Trump. He's not starting podcasts, but he's singularly focused, okay? So I guess what I would say is know thyself. And I'm not capable of that. I I, I wish I, and sometimes I say, oh, I wish I was more successful and had more money in my bank account if I was more singularly focused. And then I'm like, well, wait a minute, I wouldn't have had this breadth and bandwidth of life experience. So my point is, be comfortable in your own skin and who you are, not ever making a comparative analysis to somebody else, if that makes any sense. And here's something I would also say, and I tell this to my children, I have uh, five children, three are now in their adult ages, right. you know, I mean, over the age of 21. And I would say to my children, celebrate the successes of your friends. Okay, so I want to be there when Dell Computer is going public for the second time, I want to be there to celebrate and congratulate Michael. When one of my buddies is buying the Mets, I want to be there to serve champagne to him and say congratulations. Be the type of person where you're the first call when something good is happening to one of your friends. Don't eradicate the primordial instincts of jealousy and envy. And then the second thing is what I've already talked about is you got to do something you love. You don't do something you love. You gotta get old, man. I, I, you know, Warren Buffett says he tap dances to work. He's ninety-one years young. I believe him. I'll take him at his word. I love that. I love the advice.
1: Before I let you go, I got to get a prediction from you for the Mets this season. Yeah. it's a tough NL East. Tough NL East. So what you have you to
0: you have to tell me you have to tell me how many starts Verlander and Scherzer have. Okay, because I was very worried about that. The Grom. Scherzer starts. Okay. If each guy is getting 30 starts and you're going to have 60 starts from DeGrom and Scherzer, you're going to go to the World Series. DeGrom gets hurt. I think you end up with 34 starts combined. We still make the playoffs because they had actually a great team last year. And now you got Scherzer and Verlander. So if if they can get to, let's say, 45 starts and just pitch consistently what their metrics have been we'll be in first place and we will get top billing in the playoffs. But unfortunately it's the Mets, you know, I mean, and that's the thing, you know, and I tell people you're going to be mad at me now. I think, and if you ever, interview <laughs> I Nelson, know I said, it, if you, if you ever, if you ever interview Nelson Figueroa, I had him in my suite and Nelson <laughs> said to me that we're, we're probably on some kind of like native American burial ground or some shit. We don't even know it because the <laughs> ball takes off and then as, as it's heading for the uh, stands that like you know lands in somebody's mitt on the warning track. So I don't know. I mean, you know, I'm, I'm a diehard meth fan, uh, but we probably should do some kind of like cleansing of the feet, you know, who the hell knows. Right. But, you know, listen, my, I, and I appreciate you giving me the opportunity to bring up my podcast. The uh, open book is dropping yeah. January 25th. Uh, my very close friend, Mr. Wonderful. Kevin O'Leary is my first guest. Nice. And so he'll be, he'll be with me. We'll be talking things, crypto, entrepreneurship, his books, uh, what happened to both of us with Sam Bankman-Fried and FTX. It'll be it'll be a fun podcast. I hope your viewers and listeners will tune in or subscribe to it. And I I love your show and I appreciate being on. Yeah, and
1: thank you so much for coming on. I cannot wait for your podcast to launch, to listen. I love the idea of it, the fact that you're doing it your way. And I just find it interesting in terms of kind of, talking to authors and people who all different types of interests. Right. And, and
0: exactly.
1: no, I was just going to say to me, it sounds like that's who you are. Like you said, Mm -hmm. Dell's this way or folk, like you have these interests, but the best thing about it here is that you're kind of bringing them together through, through a podcast. And it sounds like it's something you'd really enjoy and
0: learn. And I appreciate all that. You know, I like, I like the name of it a lot. My uh, producer, Robert Ferdita came up with the name, we call it open book because you're opening a book, you're interviewing authors, but I'm also, hey, man, I'm an open book. I'm a, it's like I'm choosing Italians from Long Island or New Jersey or Westchester. We're open books, okay? We're going to tell you exactly what's on our mind, okay? One of the best lines of Ed Kaja, hey, I'm not getting the cancer. I'm giving you the cancer, okay? You know, you're not going to stress me out. I'm going to stress you out, right? But, you know, the point being is that, you know, we let everything out on our sleeves. Yeah. So I love the double entendre of the name of the podcast, open book. Yeah. It means means those two things.
1: I love it. I can't wait for open book to drop. I'm looking forward to it. I'm sure it's going to be a great podcast series where hopefully a lot of our listeners, and I'm sure they will after listening to you are going to download it and listen. And sounds like you have a great lineup. And more importantly, just for you yourself, like you said, and what I learned from this interview is and it's very hard to find sometimes when you're interviewing is you are an open book. You are giving out, you know, you're not shying away from stuff maybe that were failures, you know, and, and that is. Yeah. I mean, there's a
0: lot of, a lot of stuff doesn't reflect well. I mean, I can tell you a lot of mistakes that I've made and I'll tell you what, if you're a parent listening, you want to show your kids your failures. I have so many rich friends of mine who try to sanitize their life and pretend their life went up in a 45 degree angle you don't give the kids space to uh, make mistakes and, and fail on their own. Yeah, you know, you, you, your kids should see you where you're false. Trust yeah. me, it's good for them. Like, oh, all yeah. right, he's a little nuts. I'll I can be a little nuts too. I can have a couple setbacks, still make it. I think there's big lessons in that. I love that. And
1: especially raising two teenage girls and having them understand that now and living in New York City. And sometimes you see a lot of success here. Obviously, what I love is you see everything but mm-hmm. it's great to know especially like yourself coming from not being given everything where a lot of people these days are and doing it on mm-hmm. your own and that to me I always said I wanted to do a show that was just all about how success happens self-made
0: Amen. but Amen. Uh,
1: but I hate to say it, it'd be it'd be hard to get the tons of guests that I have but uh, you're one of them so Anthony I appreciate coming on the show Oh, you got to come to a Met game with you. Gonna hold I, you I'm going to take you up on gonna, that. You you're going to come
0: hang out with me at the Mets and you'll, you'll see a bunch of sad sack middle-aged dudes. Okay. We'll, <laughs> we'll all be sitting there in you know, relative stages of pain over this team.
1: Can I put in an option now for Game Seven of the World Series? <laughs> hey, I'll tell you what,
0: you got it. All right, that'd be good. I got a, I got a lot of seats. Man. I got this on and by tape. The way, I, and I love, and I love bringing fans, Robert. So trust me, you know. But you want to bring the real fans? Yeah, I'm, a, I'm a, yeah, I'm not yeah, playing I, corporate types. I'm bringing hey, hey, you, like me. You've suffered for four or five decades. I'd rather have you sitting there with me if they win. Uh,
1: I, I do that with my friends all the time. I, I I'd say the same thing. Business, whatever. I want someone who who really feels it, and uh, soon enough, soon enough. But 100%. Anthony, thanks again. Appreciate your time. Best of luck with all open right. God book. bless you. You got it. And that's our episode. If you like what you heard, please subscribe to How Success Happens wherever you get your podcasts. We come out with a new episode every Wednesday morning, and you don't want to miss it. And if you like to share, please feel free to pass along the show to an entrepreneur friend who could use a boost and I could always use the subscribers. And do you have ideas for guests? I always love to hear about great entrepreneurs. If you know anyone, shoot me an email at hsh at entrepreneur.com or on Twitter at Robert Tuckman. that's R-O-B-E-R-T, T-U-C-H-M-A-N, or even send me a message on LinkedIn. How Success Happens is a production of Entrepreneur Media. Be sure to visit entrepreneur.com for insight on building your business or even better yet, subscribe to our magazine. No joke, I found my first job after reading about a company in Entrepreneur Magazine back in the 1990s. It's always been my absolute favorite magazine for entrepreneurs. Thanks for listening and spending some time with me today. Until next time, my name is Robert Tuckman, just a fellow entrepreneur and your host. See you soon.